0: Does not like a stuffy, angry, unbelieving person. But, you know, he's merciful. He'll give you a little bit, those people, a little bit. Just encourage them because God isn't. He's our biggest supporter. I'll put it like that. Amen. Well, come on up, Miss Nola Dillard. Hallelujah. Praise God. Good morning. Good morning. All righty. So we're going to jump right into the word, okay? okay? Father, we just honor you, Lord. We lift you up and we bless you. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to sit at your feet and get more wisdom from you. It's an honor and it's a, it's a blessing and it's a pleasure, Lord. Now, devil, I bind you and I break your power. I take authority over this atmosphere. I bind distraction in Jesus' name. And I thank you that everybody will have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. Well, let us all get to know you a little bit more today, Father, and come up higher in you. And we honor you and we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus won't fail you. Amen. Amen. Jesus won't fail you. Amen. So let's start out in Mark chapter 3. And I'm actually going to read, uh, just. I'm going to start out in verse 1 and 2 as a foundation. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. And it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. And I wanted to read it from the New Living because this translation says that he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And see, God always notices. Nothing passes him up. I don't care what you're going through, what your heartbreak is, what your issue is. Jesus always notices. Verse 2 says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he'd healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, check this out. This man is in church. It's the Sabbath. It's supposed to be the day of rest. Jesus notices a man with a very noticeable ailment. And the religious leaders, instead of just seeing a day of breakthrough for this man with this deformity, they are thinking about Jesus and the fact that he's not obeying Herod's law and wants to see, you know, let's see if he's going to heal this man. Could care less about the man. They just want to see if he's going to break the law because when you work on the Sabbath, the penalty was that of that was death. You were supposed to be stoned to death according to Exodus thirty one fourteen. And so we're just gonna look at that. So that was just the foundation. And so let's look at I wanna go back and we're gonna look at why the religious were so angry. Because everybody knows and we have healing school, when someone walks in here with a noticeable ailment, we're all excited because we know when they leave out of here, if they come in here limping, they're gonna go out running. You know, we're excited. But they were not. So anyway, let's do some background. Let's uh, go to Mark chapter four. I'm sorry, Mark chapter one. Oh, that's right. and I'm going to start. We're going to th- we're going to look at why the religious was so angry with Jesus. What has he been doing that has made them so angry? I put on here. Let's look at the big picture. Before what Jesus has been doing before he comes into the synagogue. What has he been doing that has caused the religious to be so heartless against this man that's deformed? So anyway, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, it says, And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, so here he is on the Sabbath again, he entered the synagogue and he taught, and they were astonished at his teachings For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So he didn't teach like the religious. He wasn't beating them over the head. He taught with authority. He had everybody's attention and they didn't like it. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice, and he came out of him. And they were all, in the Nola Darlene translation, they was all sitting there with their mouth open. They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Because you don't think they didn't know he had an unclean spirit, but they were afraid of him. They left him alone. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So not only is he coming in here with the new doctrines, demons tremble, they run running from him. He teaches with authority. Now everybody's talking about him. His fame is spreading. And they don't like it. Verse 29 says, Now we're talking about why the religious are so angry and heartless. What has he been doing? This is the background before he gets to the man with the deformed hand. Verse 29 says, as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her. And at once he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left, and she served them. Amen. Let me see if if I want to stop there. So he's doing exploits. So let's pick up in Mark chapter. Okay, no, we're going to keep going. It says, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. So it's still the Sabbath, y'all, but it's in the evening now. So he just breaking all the laws. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go to the next town. And see, everywhere Jesus went, he was intentional. And what the Holy Spirit was letting me know, and every time he got alone with the Father to pray, he was getting his instructions. Nowadays, it would be like, okay, now, when you get up, tomorrow you need to go to Shaker. And when you get Downtown Shaker, I haven't been there so long, so I don't know no landmarks, but when you, if you get around Larchmere and all them streets around Shaker, there's no Hyman's, there's gonna be a woman there, you know, that, that's sick or infirm or can't stand up. So every time Jesus was with the Father, He was getting instructions. Everything He did, He didn't just show up at a city, just to sightsee. He was on assignment. He had a three-year ministry, so He didn't have time to play. It says, when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let's go to the next town. So he was on assignment that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I came forth. He's letting them know, I have a purpose. I'm on assignment. You follow me. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So Jesus was preaching casting out devils he was doing all this on the senate he was doing all this on the sabbath he was doing all this in their in their religious places and they did not like it amen so we're going to keep on going we're going to keep talking about the exploits i want to see how far i want to go read 29 331 okay and then i want to pick up i'm gonna read about the leper because he's one of my favorites So we're going to keep on going because he's even bolder now. Verse 40 says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. How did he know this? Because he's been hearing the fame about Jesus. He's been hearing the fact there is some guy here. He's preaching in the synagogues. The religious don't like him. He's casting out devils. I know that if he wants to, he can set me free, and I'm just—I'm already a dead man. I can't be around the public, so it 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 won't—it don't—it won't harm me anyway if I ask him to help me because I'm already a dead man walking. I'm already an outcast. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him. Remember, you're not supposed to touch lepers because they're highly contagious. But Jesus showed this man that he loved him, that he wouldn't fail him. And he said to him, "I am willing." As soon as he had spoken, immediately the, the leprosy left him, and he was healed. And he strictly warned him, and sent him away at once. And he said to him, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for yourself a, an offer for your cleansing; those things which Moses commanded, as a testimony of them." However, this man was so happy, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. So so he hears more. hears somebody else proclaiming what Jesus has done. His fame is spreading everywhere. And Jesus really didn't want his fame to spread like that because his crowds were so big, he couldn't get to the people that needed help. Anyway, I'm going to read 45 again. It says, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. And to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. Everybody in the city wanted to come to him. But he was outside in a deserted place. And they came to him from every direction. So can you imagine? Jesus is standing on the mountaintop. And he got people coming to him from the north and the south and the east and the west. And the religious, they don't like it. Okay, Mark chapter 2. We're still giving you a background. Why the religious are so angry. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. And again he entered Capernaum. And after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Because everybody got a bead on him. Where is he at now? What's he doing? Where is he at? Immediately many, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. And even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralyzed man who was carried by four men and they could not even, oh, thank you, and they could not even enter because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man was laying. And Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the, check this out, his enemies were sitting in there and reasoning in their hearts. That's why he, that's why the sick folks can't get in there. All the religious sitting in there watching him, trying to figure him out, trying to lay a snare for him. But thank God their faith would not let them stop. Their faith would not let them turn around and go home. Verse six again. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They hated him, but they wanted to watch him. They hated him, but they couldn't figure him out. They hated him, but they had to keep a bead on him. What is up with him? What is his story? Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but for God alone? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his heart that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? But I know that blew their mind. Now he a mind reader, which is easier <laughs> To say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you, or say to him, arise, take up your bed and walk. But when you, but, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go home. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to go back to my notes. Jesus has been doing exploits and miracles that have never been seen or heard of. To the religious, Jesus looks arrogant. He looks rebellious. He's not keeping their religious rules. And he's also a renegade. Remember, Mary was his mother and she she wasn't married when she got pregnant. The religious thinks that Jesus is someone who must be stopped. Because he's working on the Sabbath. He must be killed. He must be destroyed. The religious see Jesus as someone who was breaking rank and he's insubordinate to King Herod. And so they think that Jesus is an enemy. Religious, blind, heartless. That's who these people are. So we're going to go back to our gentleman that's in the synagogue. So, But I'm going to pick it up in Mark chapter 1 because I like the way it's worded. Mark chapter 1. Now remember, when Jesus walked in, Jesus noticed him because he's on assignment. Mark chapter 1, 38 and 39. I went back too far. Mark chapter 1, 38 to 39. Oh okay, okay. Before we get there, let me show you something else. Verse thirty eight and thirty nine says And in the morning having risen, long before daylight, he was out he went out and he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We went over this before, but I want to show you something. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said, let us go to the next town that I may preach to them also. And then verse 39 says, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. When Jesus was sitting alone with the father, he could hear the heart cry of the people. That's why it looked like when Jesus showed up somewhere, he was right on time. Or it looked like, how did he know? Because these people who were crying out for miracles, who have been been hearing about all the miracles that he had been performing, they were crying out in their hearts, in their homes, is this the Messiah? Could he do this for me? Is this my day of deliverance? Their heart cry was coming up to the Father. And so these are some things that you need to remember. I don't care what your heart cry is, your heart cry will always reach the throne. Amen. And so uh, Jesus could. uh, Okay, let me go back. It says Jesus could hear these people's heart cry for help and to set him and to be set free. He knew that he was their cure. No more disappointment for the people. Why? Because Jesus would not fail them because he was here on the scene. And so these are things I want you to write down and remember. When the devil tries to put you in self-pity, nobody cares. I'm here by myself. I've been struggling with this. You remember this. Psalms 34 and 6 says, The poor man cried out, and he heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. So when you got an issue, you cry out to God because he hears you. Psalms 18 and 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God, and he heard my voice. See, God knows your voice. And in his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. And you gotta know every time you cry out to your great big God, your cry reaches his ears. Exodus 2, verse 23 and 24 in the New Living Translation, and I'm gonna start halfway down in B. It says, they cried out for help and their cry arose to God. And this is why Jesus was on assignment. This is why he knew what city to go to. They heard and it says, God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew that it was time to act. Jesus knew it was time to act. Psalms 10, verse 17, this is the, uh, the uh, TPT, the, uh, I can't think of it right now. Thank you, the passion. Lord, you know and understand all the hopes of the humble. And will hear their cries and comfort their hearts, helping them all. Jesus had a three-year ministry. That's why he was on the move. He wanted to try to help as many as whose heart cry received him, and those who had the faith to believe him for a miracle. Our, so already, I already, I'm just, I was just saying again. When Jesus got along, got alone to pray, God was giving him his instruction and letting him know what his next move was. Amen. So now in Matthew chapter 12, we'll pick back up what our brother that we left in the synagogue standing there. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, page 1426. Jesus won't fail you. Okay, so I'm going to read it out of Matthew 12:9 through 14. And remember, in the New Living Translations, it said that Jesus noticed him. I'm reading this out of the New King James. It says, Then when he departed from there, he went into the synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand. In other words, Jesus noticed this man with a withered hand. And he said to him, saying, and this is Jesus talking. This is a different translation, so this is why I like this. Jesus was asking them, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" And he, I'm, I'm sorry, they asked him. They asked Jesus. Okay, so let me let me back up. Jesus walked in. He noticed the man. These religious folks already know what he's thinking, and so they're asking him, "Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath?" And they asked them, not that they needed to know for doctrine's sake, they're still building a case against him because they think he's insubordinate, he's rebellious, he's not honoring Herod, he's working on the Sabbath, he's supposed to be stoned to death. And he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value than a man a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He's letting them know, yeah, it's right to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, another translation says, he picked him up, put the man in front of everybody, then told him to stretch out his hand. So Jesus did this up front in a face and with all boldness. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out, plotted against him how they might destroy him. And so with the, when with my sermon, Jesus Won't Fail You, you got to look at this whole big picture. This man has been hearing about all the miracles that Jesus has been performing up until this day. He's been casting out devils. He's been working on the Sabbath, healing people. And this man is sitting here looking at his withered hand not able to work not able to have a normal lifestyle in walks jesus his answer however is the sabbath can i ask him to heal me if i ask him to heal me i'm breaking the law he's supposed to get stoned maybe i might get stoned too what do i do can you imagine the anxiety in his heart If I don't ask him to heal me today, will I ever be able to get close to him again? Because every time he's somewhere preaching, you can't even get close to him because there's a mob. So the anxiety in this man's heart, but see, Jesus didn't disappoint him. Okay, I want to see where I picked up. Jesus also notices the strife in the atmosphere. There should be compassion in the heart of these leaders. The religious leaders could care less about this man or his hand. They wanted to catch Jesus breaking the law so they can continue to build a case against him. Jesus admonishes the religious leaders for their hardness of heart. And Jesus tells them that this man is more valuable than a wounded animal. Jesus tells them this is what the Sabbath, what the Sabbath is for. Jesus, the Sabbath is to set the captives free. And see, Jesus did not disappoint this man who felt helpless, who felt alone. The man's hand being restored totally elevates his life. Now he can work and he can earn money and he can have a normal lifestyle. In the face of opposition, Jesus didn't fail this man and he won't fail you either. Amen. And so I want to talk about another example about Jesus not failing. So I mean, the whole Bible talks about Jesus not failing, but these are just some examples for the sake of time. Y'all don't want to be y'all. We I read the whole Bible. So we're just, <laughs> so we just going over some miracles. So let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17, okay. And this is when Jesus raises the son of a widow woman, okay. Ah, Luke 17, oh, okay, read the Amplified. Okay, I'm going to read it, I'm going to read 11 through 17, and I'm going to go back and read it from my, uh, in the Amplified. 11 through 17 says, now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him. And a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Don't weep. Then he came and touched the boy's coffin, and those those who carried him stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding regions. Amen. But I want to also read this from the. Amplified, okay, so that's Matthew, I'm sorry, that's Luke. It's Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read this from the Amplified, verses 11 through 17. Just want to brag on Jesus that he will not fail you ever. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a city called Nain near Nazareth, and his disciples and a a large crowd accompanied him. Now as he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her in the funeral procession. This reminds me of when Tabitha died and the whole city was in mourning. When the Lord saw her, he felt great compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and he touched he touched the coffin on which the body rested, and the pallbearer stood still. And he said, "Young man, I say to you, arise from the dead." The man was dead. The man who was dead sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear and profound awe gripped them all. They all began glorifying and honoring and praising God. A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people to help and care for and provide for them. This news about him spread throughout all Judea and all of the surrounding countryside. Let's look at the big picture. Jesus was on his way to the city of Nain. Nain means beautiful or pleasant. And there was nothing beautiful about this city this day. And most of the city was mourning over the loss of this widow's son. Every place Jesus went and every act was intentional. The sorrow of the mother, the sorrow of the mother's heart reached the ears of the father, even his throne room. Jesus was on assignment. This widow was already, this widow has already endured the loss of her husband. Now she has to endure the loss of her only son the one who has been responsible for caring for her and providing for the household. It's obvious that this young man was honoring his mother because half of the town was at the funeral mourning his loss. And see, when I read this, I think about Exodus when it says, Honor your mother and your father so your days will be long on the earth. And don't think this didn't cross her heart. Lord, my son has been taking care of me he's been honoring me now he's dead that's not what your word promises. it promises me that if he honors me he'll have long life as a widow now she has to glean off the harvest of the fields and depend on the religious church leaders to help her and we already know and read that the church leaders they do not have a loss for those they do not have a heart for those who are less fortunate and what looked like the widow's darkest hour upwalked the resurrection and the light. Jesus restored her son back to life, restored her livelihood. Jesus also restored the city's faith in God. Jesus did not disappoint her. Amen. He gave her back everything she thought she lost because he's a good God and he will never disappoint us. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. And see, that miracle restored, the whole city got to see that, and the whole city had a renewed freshness. The city could be called beautiful again, pleasant, because the whole city rejoiced because this young man had come back to life. Amen. 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 So I have plenty more I want to share with you, but I'm going to share a testimony and uh, so I don't think I've ever really given the whole testimony, but I'm going to do it today because Jesus didn't fail me. <laughs> so I'm going to get through this without crying. And so some of you know, some of you don't know, but okay. So I'm, I'm going to start out with my notes so that I just don't forget anything. So December 6, 2006, I was in a truck accident with my son, Joshua, and where we lived at that time, we were like three miles, we lived in, we, I still live in the country, but we lived in the country, so we were three miles away from the bus stop, so I took the older kids first, because middle school, high school, you know, they the buses do two runs, so i taken them to school, and it was really bad, it was a bad, they really had, should have canceled school that day, so I took the older kids, and then when it was time for me to take Joshua, I, uh. On my way to the bus stop to take Joshua to meet the bus, I slid on black ice and my truck rolled three times. And when my truck finally stopped, we landed on our side and because uh, I remember Joshua was here and he looked like <laughs> he looked like you know with Spider Man is on a wall. Joshua <laughs> But see I know God had angels in that truck. He looked <laughs> and you know a seatbelt don't do you like that. So when he unbuckled his seatbelt, he actually fell down because he was glued on that seat. And so anyway, we took our um seat belts off and I said, Josh, you okay? And he said, Yeah, he was good. And so uh my phone was broken. I couldn't call anybody. Howard, you know, he's my husband's a truck driver, so he was in Indianapolis or he was nowhere close. So my phone was broken. So I just, you know, kicked into mother gear. I'm thinking my truck is on the side. I don't know if it's going to blow up. And so I threw out my purse, I threw out my keys, and I said, "Josh, you get out first and then I'll go out." So he climbed on my seat and he's we it was it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. So he climbed over the seat and so then he like slid down the truck. So that's the way I had to do. So I did what he did. I climbed on the seat and so we slid down the truck. And so we had to walk about three miles home in the snow, and it is snowing. And when I was almost, when I was, because my house sat on the corner, so I was walking up to the back door. And right before I got up to the back door, and this is a street, it's a it's a country road that hardly nobody's on on a good day. So you're definitely not on it on a snowy day. And so I saw this car coming up the hill. And the lady rolled down the window. She said, are you okay? Oh, she said, is that your truck? And I said, yes ma'am. She said, we've been following your footsteps. She said, we've been tracking your steps. She said, but we were so thankful because we did not see blood. We knew you were not bleeding. And so, uh, let me see, let me see where. Okay, so, so yes, so we talked for a while and, uh, you know, I let them know we were okay, and I, t- I said, this is my house. I'm going inside, and I don't know who called the ambulance. I don't know if I called the ambulance. They called the ambulance, but I remember I called Pastor Shirley, and I wasn't making much sense, <laughs> and uh so anyway, the paramedics showed up, so we were sitting in, in the living room, and I said, Josh, you okay? And he said, Mom, okay. You know, he was young. I don't even remember. I think Josh might have been third or fourth grade, but anyway, so the paramedics came, and They came in. They said, we saw your truck, and, you know, we need to check you out. We need to take you in. So they started pulling out the stretcher, and I said, well, I don't need a stretcher. He said, well, no, we need to put you on the stretcher and take you to the ambulance. And so the other paramedic said, honey, have you looked in the mirror? And I said, no, because, I mean, when I first came home, I looked in the mirror because I went to the bathroom. But, you know, it was like three degrees that day, so I was frozen, so once I got in the house, I had a hematoma. It was like sticking, I looked like a unicorn from that blood had puddled on my brain. And so but since my body had warmed up, all that blood, and everything started working. But I was too frozen. <laughs> you know, so he said, honey, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> he said, we're going to put you on a stretcher. So I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, my goodness. So anyway, I uh, got in there, they checked out Josh, and they said, you know, he looks good, but still we want to take you guys in, get x-rays, make sure you don't have any internal anything. And I remember laying there in the ambulance, and I heard him whisper to the other guy, he said, her blood pressure is dropping. And I was laying there, I was like, devil, you ain't going to kill me. (laughs) I said, I'm going to live and not die. i done been through all this. You ain't going to kill me in this ambulance. (laughs) So anyway, we got to. Um, so anyway we got to the hospital, they checked us out, and we didn't have any broken bones. I just looked like somebody had went upside my head. Now I'm sure that was from hitting the the glass, you know, when we were rolling. And so uh, I didn't know who to call. And at that time, I was training to become a um, bus driver. So when you work for a school, they have these people, they're trainers and they're called OBIs and it's on onboard instructor. So I didn't know who else to call. So I called Miss Miss Kathy and I told her, I said, I've been in a car accident. She said, Where are you at? I said, I'm right here in Overland. So she said, Okay, I'll come and get you. And then I called my kids bus driver, Miss Smith, because I said, Oh my goodness, we never showed up at the bus. I know she thinks something wrong because I showed up with the half my kids and not Josh. anyway, I called Miss Smith. And she said, I was so worried. She said, I kept sitting there looking for your truck, and you never came. And she said, I was so worried. So anyway, um, she said, don't worry about the kids. She said, at the end of the day, I'll bring the kids all the way home, because I know you're not going to be there to meet the bus. And so she did. So she brought my kids all the way home. And since I called her from the hospital, she had cooked dinner for us. So when she dropped my kids off, she dropped dinner off. And I remember – um she told my kids, cause they didn't know, and she told the kids on the bus after everybody, she said, your mom's in a car accident, but she's home, she's okay. So, but, but, my kids walked in the house and saw me. Probably, well y'all know my sensitive one is who? Lil Howard. <laughs> Lil Howard saw me and busted out crying. I said, I said, I'm okay. I said, hey, I'm alive. And, uh, so anyway, Miss Kathy, she, my OBI, she picked Joshua and I up, went to the store, she got all of our prescription and because by this time, my body's starting to ache because everything is kind of, you know, I was in shock. Now my body's waking up like, what in the heck happened? So anyway, um, it's okay. So she she did dinner. And so the next day, as the healing process starts, I was like, I was sore. I couldn't lay down. <laughs> my eyes started shutting Cause I had told Pastor Barb, she said, well, how are you doing today? And I said, I said, I look terrible. I said, I said, it's like the swelling. <laughs> she said, well, all that swelling is healing. And it, that was the week before our Christmas party. And that's when I used to make bread for everybody. And I remember sitting there and I said, Lord, I still want to make my gifts. Who thinks about stuff like that? And I was during the day, <laughs> I was, I'm laughing now, but it wasn't funny then. I was trying to read. I was doing like this to read my recipe book because my eyes were shutting, and I couldn't even see to read my recipe book. And so Becky came home, and she made all my bread for the Christmas party because I still wanted to give. Because I feel like the devil hit me, but I ain't gonna stop. I'm still going to be a blessing. And so uh she made all my bread. She wrapped all my um, wrapped all my gifts. And thank God, you know, Christmas is also healing school. And so I wasn't going to (laughs) go. And I remember Pastor Barr made a comment, something, and I was thinking, oh, she thinks I'm coming. And I was thinking, okay, I ain't going to say nothing (laughs) because she thinks I'm coming. We drove. That was the hardest. That was rough because my body was sore. Every time he hit a bump, I felt like my internal was just, and then I was drugged up, so I was drowsy, and every time I fell asleep, I thought I was rolling. So I, would in the car, sore, and then you dozing off, and then I'd wake up like this, in a panic, because I kept feeling like I was rolling, because I was in movement, and so, but I made it to the healing school, okay, I said, okay, Lord, I made it, so I got prayer, and I sat down and remember I used to do the announcements and my trusty partner, Marsha, she said, you want me to do the announcements for you? I was like, yes, please. So now I've drugged up. Marsha stood up to do the announcements and Pastor Barb told her to sit down and she said, where is Nola? And I was like, is she serious? I can't even see. <laughs> so I went up there to do the announcements and Tone walked up, stand up, Miss Avis. So you be me. I'm standing up there, can't see, don't want to be in front of nobody, <laughs> swollen. I'm trying to do the announcement. Tone walks up to me and does this. So he stood with me the whole time I did the announcements, and that was that. Just means there's just no words for that. Yes. But you know what? So I thank you. And so, but uh, and so I, I made it through the announcements because I'm just like I, I was like I wanted to say, well, y'all just let me heal i just want to disappear (laughs) i don't even want to be here (laughs) and that's when mac was coming and mac saw me he was like wow because what happened is the blood started moving down so the blood that was in this knot moved down to my eyes i looked like a raccoon i had two black eyes and because as the weeks progressed it was the craziest thing my neck was purple and then i remember when my chest was purple all that blood was draining down. And I just wanted to sit in a corner. It's like, I just want to take my medication. I want to be drugged up. Please don't talk to me. But see, I thank God that I wasn't allowed to sit back and feel sorry for myself. You know, and I you know, I didn't like it then, but now I know how to come out punching. But I, it taught me, and I didn't like it. And I thought Pastor Barb was mean. I'm thinking, oh, my God! First, I got to go. And you know, I'm, I'm having trauma in the car. I can't sleep. I keep feeling like I'm rolling. I'm dizzy. And then I got to stand in front of everybody and they look at me like, oh, <laughs> you know, cause that element of shock, you know, they didn't do it on purpose, but it's just that element of shock. Like, what the heck? And so, um, so anyway, so then she, she told Big Howard, she said, I think, um, Miss Noel need to come to the bonus room for a week. And, uh, and, and Pastor Varv has a bonus room in her house where it's 24 hour word healing school worship music. And, and so, uh, so she said, so I went there from the, from the Christmas party. I went there and stayed at her house for a week and that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I stayed in the week, in the word all week long. Just all because I had no confidence at all. I had no confidence. And so I remember when it was time for me to go home, pastor barb looked at me she said okay time for you to pick your life back up whatever you were doing before your accident go back to that point and start all over again and i was preparing to go to willard and get my cdl take my driving test and so when she said that i kind of laughed i was like i'm not driving no school bus i don't want to drive no car I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to get behind the wheel. And so, so okay, so I came home, and let me see where where am I at? I just want to, uh, okay, I want to, cause I don't want to miss anything. Oh yeah, I put that was a trick. That was a little tricky what Pastor Barr said, cause I was supposed to go get my license. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so I got home. So Miss Kathy calls me, my OBI, the wanna pick me up from the hospital. And she said, okay, I rescheduled your test for 30 days. And I'm thinking, did she talk to Pastor Barb? <laughs> she said, I rescheduled your test for 30 days. When do you want to start back so that we can kind of just refresh you on some things? And I wanted to say never because I, 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 I didn't want to drive a car. I didn't want to drive nothing, and I definitely didn't want to be responsible for nobody's kids on a school bus. And so anyway, the day came. I was supposed to meet Miss Kathy and go down there and, and drive and, you know, get back in the saddle. And it was, well, I didn't feel good, but I felt good. I could have went, but it was snowing. So I said, well, I'll just call her and tell her I don't feel good, and I'm canceling. So I called her. And I said, well, Miss Kathy, I don't feel good today. I said, so I will reschedule. And she said, I was waiting on you to call me. I mean, no mercy. She said, I was waiting on you to call me. And I said, really? She said, yes, because today looks like the day you had your accident. It's snowing, and you scared to come out the house. She said, so I'm going to let you off the hook this time, but don't cancel on me again. So I said, oh, Lord. So I had to get back in my word. I didn't even want to drive down there, not let alone get in my bus and do anything different. And so anyway, I rescheduled. I got down there. And so we're driving. I'm thinking, okay, this is going pretty good. And it started snowing. And I remember she had me on these just roads with no curves. If you go off the road, you're going in the covert. <laughs> and it was snowing, and I couldn't see, and I started crying. And she said, keep driving. And I said, well, should we go back to the school? She said, no, keep driving. And I remember I cried and I prayed in tongues. And it's like she changed into another person. She kicked in the gear and taught me how to drive in that snow. And it was the hardest thing. It was the hardest thing I'd ever did. But it helped me. Okay, So let me get myself together. Okay, 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 okay. It was hard, but she taught me. She wouldn't let me stop. She told me how to drive in that snow with that school bus. When, when to, when to put on brakes, when not to. Cause I was driving over some black ice and I felt myself about to panic and she said, take your foot off the gas. Don't hit the brake. Keep coasting. And, you know, just little things that we don't even take, you know, that you don't even think about. It was just she taught me so much that day in the midst of my tears. And so anyway, so we kept at that, and, you know, I made it. And so then like a couple weeks before it was time for her, for me to go, she had to take some other drivers down and test them. She said, I want you to go with us so you can know what to expect. So I rode with her. And I saw the, you know, all the guys standing out there, because it's like, you know, just like when you're in a semi-truck, you got to do your parallel, you got to do your cones. I was scared that day, and I wasn't even being tested. <laughs> I was standing in the window praying in tongues. I was like, Lord, <laughs> it's like all that fear kept trying to visit me, kept trying to hit me and paralyze me again. And uh, so anyway, I met the uh, instructors, and she said, she'll be back in two weeks, and and um. And so anyway, I met all them, and, you know, they made me feel comfortable. So I did go back two weeks later. I was so nervous, I was nauseous. And I literally did most of my tests with my hand on my stomach because I thought I was going to throw up. Because I was just that shook with fear. But I did it. I did everything, and I passed. (laughs) Jesus didn't fail me. Amen. Amen. And so I did all that. And then let me make sure I'm not forgetting anything with that. Jesus didn't fail me. And so <laughs> and so I went on for 13 years. I drove school bus, 13 years. And then I actually became an OBI. And then I started training people how to get their CDL driver's license. I also used to recertify the drivers when it was time for their uh, certification to expire. And then I also went on to certify and train the teachers to drive the school van. So see, Jesus, he never failed me. In the face of all that, he did not fail me at all, at all. I got another testimony. How, what's my time? I probably, oh, okay, okay. Okay, so my other testimony I want to tell y'all about my man Dan, my Gabby's daddy. Jesus didn't fail me, so I know Miss Avis was there. Uh, Dan was a junior year in high school, and it was we had a nice one. Avis, uh, April, Tone, and Tip, you know they were there, and uh, my family, and uh, Dan was having an awesome game. He had scored like two foot two uh, touchdowns. And then, uh, he got hit. And so he went down. And I remember, um, every, you know, cause when you, I mean, Ava's to tell you, when now my boys play football, I, I didn't enjoy it no way. I was sitting there praying in tongues the whole time. <laughs> Tiffany said, no, the praise in tongues the whole game. I was like, yes, I do. So I was already sitting there praying in tongues. And so Dan went down. And then, uh, and then you know how that is. The hush comes over and everybody's praying. And then I one of the players came to the sideline, and they were asking for my husband to come down and so I'm just sitting there praying in tongues, so then Howard came back and they said, "Well, we think Dan has torn his a c l and I'm like, "Oh man, you know, so you know, so they took him out, and so I had to leave you know after the game was over, and take him to the hospital, so sure enough, they did all the x-rays, and um they said he has a torn a c l and so we'll have to talk about, you know, surgery and things like that, and having his ACL repaired. So on the way home, I was praying, and you know, we were praying about Dan, and and the Lord told us, no, he's not having surgery. And I said, okay, well, what are we gonna do? And he said, I'ma heal him. And so we got home, and you know, he couldn't. And uh, Dan and Little Howard's uh bedrooms were downstairs in the basement. And so he couldn't do stairs, so I set him up on the couch. I set him up, you know, his bed on the couch. So the TV went on, and in went Norval Hayes. And he listened to Norval Hayes, speak to the mountain, talk to the devil. Devil, you can't kill me. We don't have broken bones. So he had to listen to Norval Hayes day in and day out because he couldn't go to school. And so that's all he did. The word played in my house nonstop, continually. And so his coaches kept saying, when is surgery scheduled? And so Daniel, he didn't want to say, my mother's a religious nut and I'm not going to have surgery. (laughs) He just kept saying, I don't know. (laughs) Because football season was ending and track season was starting. And so he had to go back to the doctor in, like, three weeks. And so, you know, we were all praying, and I said, well, Daniel, I said, the Lord wants to heal you. You're not going to have surgery on your ACL. So he said, okay. He understood, but, you know, he wasn't bold enough to tell his coaches that. When you're having surgery, got to have you back. You know, next year, senior year, got to have you ready. And so, but it was Norval Hayes. Norble Hayes was in my, I mean, he, it it never stopped. Daniel's friends came to visit him. Norville Hazel still talk to the devil, laugh at the devil. I mean, that's all you heard. So it was like they are really a different kind of family. So two weeks later, I was nervous as can be because he had to go to the doctor. So he laid on the table, and he picked Dan's knee up, and he he kept uh, doing his knee. And then he did his knee again. He said. Your ACL is healing. And I wanted to scream. I text, I think I text Pastor Barb Pastor trail. I said, Daniel's ACL is healing. <laughs> so Dan kind of looked at me. I'm thinking, see, I ain't crazy <laughs> a little bit, but not when it comes to my kids. <laughs> and so Jesus didn't fail Daniel because that was a miracle he needed to see. Track season came. He ran he meddled, and you know at the during the track season you know the after every uh sports event there's always a banquet and i remember they called daniel up and the one of the track coaches was also his football coach coach Voorhees. and uh so i remember Co- coach Voorhees said this next player or r- runner that i'm having come up to receive this award he has meddled and he has gotten all this and y'all he's done all this without an acl and i wanted to say he got but you know, <laughs> I say he got an ACL. But anyway, so God didn't fail him. And then he had a successful, um, uh, senior year in football. He was able to play again. They did keep him in a brace just to make sure. And then after Daniel, I mean, he's, God healed him, completely healed him. And, and that's amen, amen. And that was the route that he wanted us to go for Daniel. And when Daniel got out, y'all know he was a, he's, he's, he's my mini job, my son. So, you know, he was a, a linesman. He's a, Daniel is a certified linesman that works on the poles. And my daughter used to tease him. She, she would say, boy, you climb the poles like a monkey. And, and if his, if he had a torn ACL, he couldn't do all that. And then two years ago, Daniel ran in the marathon in Columbus. So God has totally healed him and proven himself to him. He didn't fail him at all, Amen, and he won't fail you either. And so I have another testimony. Okay, so I have another testimony. Some of you know about um, Josh had has uh, he had a football scholarship, and the school that we you know we went there. They lavished us with lunch and food, and we had a great day. And I mean, when 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 you're you know when you went there, you're gonna be if they feel like you're gonna put them on the map in football, they roll out the red carpet so they rolled out the red carpet they was waiting on us at the door and we had just an awesome day at bluffton bluffton university and uh so we you know we did all that and met all the coaches staff and ate ate lunch with them and so then joshua graduated and um we were and it was okay so his party was so he graduated on a sunday so his party was that sunday and so then monday they call and say that they're pulling his scholarship. And we're sitting there like, huh? You know, we're just like stunned. And I just, I remember I, I could still see Joshua. He was sitting over at the computer. He was sitting at the chair and he was just crying. And I remember I walked over to him and I told, and I told him, I mean, I said, Jesus won't fail you. I didn't even think about that till now. I said, Jesus won't fail you. I said, this is not the end of the story. I said, this is just the beginning. And that uh, year prior, Joshua, because high school, his school is not even, well, it's on the map, but you know what I mean. It don't even register. So God opened the door for him to play in two um, all-star games. That was unheard of for that school. And the one coach called... Coach Voorhees and say, hey, I got a spot in an All-Star because they didn't even enter, well, that year Coach Voorhees entered New London schools into the conference where someone from your school could be picked to play in an All-Star game because the All-Star games, that's the best of the best you might have somebody from Collinwood Glenville, Shaw, you know, they pick two or three people out of each school and the North versus the South and it's just a fun game and so New London was never involved in that like that <laughs> So one of the coaches had a spot. He says one of the boys couldn't make it, and he called Coach Voorhees. He said, you know what, I got a spot, and I wanted to know if your player, Josh Dillard, would he be interested? Can you ask his parents? And I remember Josh said, uh, Coach Voorhees wants you to call him. And I said, okay. So he called, and we did a three-way. And, and so I was like, yes. And then um, then um, then I got another phone call that he had been chosen to play in a different one. And so, I mean, God just supernaturally opened those doors for him, and he was able to play in both of those all-star games. One, one thing, um, both of them, they treated you like royalty. They got gifts and watches, and, you know, they treated us to dinner and banquets. But the school that Joshua graduated from, there were scouts there at that all-star game, and they noticed Joshua, and they were talking to Coach Voorhees. But we didn't know they were there. I knew Coach Voorhees sat with a bunch of other gentlemen, but I didn't know they were scouts. And so when Bluffton closed the door on Joshua, the scouts that were at his all-star game and noticed him, they started calling. And they said, do you have a school? We want to offer you a scholarship. And so, I mean, the rest is history. He went. He graduated. God didn't fail him. Every time it looked like he was going to have an obstacle, I would always tell him, "Joshua, we've been here before." And then Joshua tore his ACL, and I was actually not there. We were in Detroit. We were at Rejoice Detroit, but Tone was there. Tone went to the game, and I had family members there. All my family, because it was uh, they played Notre Dame over in South Euclid, so it was a local game, but. You know I felt like I need to be at rejoice the choice. so we went to, we were in Michigan and and um and uh I no, I went, Vic Howard didn't go, and so Vic Howard said, "Pray, Joshua's down." So I'm like, "Oh Lord, you know, so anyway, he did rip his ACL, but with him being on a football scholarship and them being responsible for him, he did have to have surgery. And so, but even with that, his surgery, the Lord still healed him. But sometimes when you rip for ACL, even after surgery, you can't play. And he went on to play two more years. And amen, amen. So, you know, God has a plan for each, you know, his story, his testimony is not the same as Daniel's. He has a different one. You know what I'm saying? But he's so, God is so many facets. He has a way of revealing himself to each of us in the way that we need it the most. And so, I mean, I could go on all day about jesus not failing you but that's what i just wanted to put a smile on y'all face and let y'all know jesus won't fail you i don't care what it looks like you know i remember in that car on the way to the healing school and i was in so much pain i didn't i didn't I, the motion made me feel I, the trauma but jesus has totally healed me and that is a distant memory You know, when it was snow, I remember I would stand in my living room window and cry because I'd have to get in my car and drive and go pick up my kids from football practice. I was just that afraid to drive and to drive in the snow. But Jesus heals to the uttermost. You know, that scripture where he says, I will cause you to forget. And he'll call, because some of this stuff I forgot until I started writing it down. And Miss Kathy, I wish y'all could meet her. She, she's tall and thin, long hair. She looks like a model. But when God used her and she turned into a beast and she wouldn't give me no for an answer, you know, cause I seriously, I was like, has she been talking to Pastor Barb? <laughs> she wouldn't let me stop. She knew I was crying. My tears didn't move her. My tears was like, you keep driving. 'Cause you're gonna conquer this. And I always brag on Miss Miss Kathy because uh and she has moved on. Now she is the transportation supervisor for Amherst School District. And uh that is the largest school district in Lorraine County and uh all the kids that come from that school go to Big Ten colleges. That's where Stacy's daughter graduated from. So she's working at one of the largest schools in Lorain County, and she's transportation supervisor. She has an excellent reputation. She's a beast, little beast, and she's an esquarian. She races horses. And uh, yes, so she's one of the ones jumping over the hurdles, having the horses. But I thank God he won't fail you. God will put the right people in your life to take you to that next level, whatever it is. Amen. So anyway, God bless y'all. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, we worship you, Lord. We honor you and we lift you up. It's a privilege to brag on you, Jesus, my King and my Savior, my rescue Knight, the one who is always there for me. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We lift you up and we bless you. Lord, bless your people, Father. Reveal yourself to them, Father. Let them know that what's impossible with men is possible with God. And we love you, Lord, and we bless you. And we thank you for loving us with a crazy love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.